those ages four to seven dismissed the junior church, and eight, nine-year-olds have clipboards up here. Still in the beginning of Luke this week, week number, week number five now. It's a, it's a relief to me that this is my last Sunday preaching. It's a lot of pressure. Maybe it's a relief to you that it's also my last Sunday for a few months here. We'll see. We'll be picking up in verse 25 this week. Made it verses... Uh, 21 through 24 last week, and I know it still says 38 up there, but we'll, my intent is to, to make it through verse 35. So we'll read Luke chapter 2 verses, we'll read verses 21 through 35. It says, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there is a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you had promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Begin with a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this account of Simeon and the temple with Jesus and the revelation from the Holy Spirit to him to, to meet Jesus and Joseph and Mary there, Lord. Uh, help me to, to pull out from that what you have in that word, Lord. Um, help me to glorify you in that. In Jesus' name, amen. So we looked last week at verses 21 through 24, and, we, and I pointed out how in all these different law-keeping ceremonies that Christ did, he was fulfilling law there. There was, they were not ceremonies he had to do because he was not 
he had no sin in him. But they were things that Christ did in order to fulfill the law as part of being the Savior. So this week we look at Simeon. And you were probably familiar when we looked at the Magnificat with Mary and her song. I'm sure had heard of it before. You may be less familiar with Simeon and his praise. But there's, as I dug into this, every time I'm like, oh, what am I going to pull out of this? I pick a passage with an idea, and I say, well, what am I going to find here? What am I going to dig out of this? And as I spend time and study, there are just so many things that come to the surface in God's Word. It's just amazing. But beginning in verse 25 of Luke chapter 2 there, it starts out, this man in Jerusalem called Simeon, but it says, who was righteous and devout. And it was Romans 3.10 comes to mind, right? There's no one righteous, no, not one. Like, well, how is Simeon called righteous then, right? If Scripture explicitly tells us that there's no one righteous. But I think back to the beginning of Luke, chapter 1, verse 6, it gives us a description of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. And there it says, both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. So when Scripture talks about somebody who is righteous, it's not saying that they are without sin. It is telling us that they are observing God's law. They are fulfilling his commandments. They are upright in the sight of God in regards to the keeping of his law. They do those things blamelessly and with a pure heart. And like Christ said in the Gospels, the greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself, right? So they love God and they love neighbor. And you see also Simeon's attitude towards himself in verse 29, where he talks about being dismissed in peace. He calls himself, he says, dismiss your servant in peace. If you have, I believe it's a King James, I know the American Standard says it, but it's that word bond servant that we had when we looked at Mary's song. She referred to herself as the bond servant of the Lord. I am a slave to God. And that is what he's saying here. He is God's slave. He is completely beholden to him. So he is righteous and devout. But he's waiting for something. It says he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that word consolation mean? Right? We... We use that some in common terms, but it is to comfort someone who is suffering. It is to console uh, some of the, you console somebody who has lost a loved one. And there's even a, in athletics, you have a consolation prize for those who are out of the tournament in the first round because of a loss. They have their own little sort of tournament where they get the, the consolation prize, right? They're, in spite of this loss, you still receive something good. But he's looking for comfort, comfort one who is suffering. So how is Israel suffering, right? It says he's looking for, waiting for the consolation of Israel. What is Israel suffering at this time? We know that Israel's under Roman rule. 
We know that the Romans are, they are pagans. They worship multiples of gods. They are Gentiles. They have no respect for the Jewish culture. And they, in spite of having a, a Jewish leader over the Israelite people, he's appointed by the Romans to do the Romans' bidding, right? They have, the Israelites have a lack of freedom. They, they have a desire to restore the glory to the nation of Israel, right? But that is not their biggest problem. The Romans ruling over them is not the largest problem of the Israelites. Their largest problem is that they are suffering in sin. They perform the sacrifices, which provides that temporary covering of sin, but it does not provide a lasting covering of sin. They are suffering under sin. And it's as I read that passage in Isaiah, and as we'll get into Isaiah more, and the beautiful thing that I kept seeing there was God provides that consolation for Israel, but he says, it's not enough for my glory to just be shown to Israel. I will show it to the whole world. It is, it is much greater. The, the picture of their suffering and the relief from that suffering is the forgiveness of sin, which is then offered to the whole world. And we still have that same sin problem. We now have the solution for it, but we still suffer under that same sin problem. But then, how does God comfort his people? What is the consolation that he is waiting for? And it goes on and says, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So, and it tells us what the Spirit did for him. It said he would not, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So the Spirit is not showing him what that consolation will be. The Spirit has shown him the timing of when it will happen. And it's not that the timing is secret. It has been revealed in Scripture, the timetable for when the Messiah would come. But it, more specifically, the Messiah will come during your lifetime, Simeon. But I wanted to look more into what, what the consolation is. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 42. We're going to look at some of the prophecies of who the Messiah would be, what the Messiah would do. And this is what... Simeon is looking forward to. It's the passage I read earlier, Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. We have there, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. So this passage is pointing us towards the future Christ when Isaiah wrote this. God's servant. And it's telling us what he is going to do. 
Verse three says, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will do right. And it tells us how he's going to do it. He is going to do it in faithfulness. It will be consistent. It will be unending. It will be true to, to God and his word. And it says, he will not falter or be discouraged, right? He's not going to give up because it's difficult. Thinking through the, our New Testament, Matthew chapter 12, points us, this is quoted again. Many of these, the passages in Isaiah that I ended up in, I was like, uh, oh, that's also referenced in the Gospels. You, Simeon is looking towards this, at this towards the consolation, but in Matthew chapter 12, is looking in verses 14 through 21. You have Jesus performing healing on the Sabbath, and you have the rulers who are like, oh, you can't break the Sabbath, and healing someone on the Sabbath is, is breaking the Sabbath. You can't do that. But Christ has a response for that. But it says after he heals this man, in verse 14, it says, but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. And aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. This is what Simeon is looking forward to, this ministry of Christ, justice being proclaimed on his behalf, the Savior coming. And that's how Simeon knows what to look for in Christ, is because he knows the scriptures. He is just reading through these few short verses in Luke that talk about Simeon. There's so many different references that you can find in Isaiah in there. It seems Simeon was very intimate with, at very least, the book of Isaiah. He knew the prophecies of who the Messiah would be. So back to Isaiah, chapter 49, verses 1 through 7 of chapter 49. It's another prophecy of who the servant of the Lord would be, the future Redeemer. But in verse, starting in verse 1 of Isaiah 49, it says, Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. 
But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. Now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and the Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see and bow down. Because of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. So another prophecy of what the, who the Messiah would be, what he would do. And looking through that, verse 1 says right there, Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. So this is a call that it goes beyond just Israel. He's calling to what would be known to Israel as the Gentile nations. But he says in verse 2, what that ministry will look like. He says, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. Christ's power was in his speaking, in his preaching. And that is how he would conquer the nations. But verse 5 tells us that he was formed in the womb to be his servant, to gather Israel to himself, right? One of the purposes of the Messiah was to bring Israel back, to redeem Israel. But I love in verse 6 where it says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, right? It points to the power of Christ. Like it's not glory, there's not enough glory in just bringing Israel back to me. You will have the nations. You will bring all. And it's also beautiful because I'm included in that, right? <laughs> as are most of us here. I'm not aware of anybody here that has a Jewish background. Um, so we rejoice in that, that it was too small of a thing to restore the tribes of Jacob. But he would also make you a light for the Gentiles. And that even after Christ's death and resurrection, if you look in the beginning of Acts work, Christ has the interaction with his disciples before, before he goes up. One of the things he tells them is, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and, all, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, right? He gives them, you will go to the Israelite people, you will go to the nation, but then you will go to the ends of the earth. And you saw that example in Paul's ministry as you look throughout Acts of what's Paul do as he goes throughout the, the Roman world? He goes to the synagogue first. He preaches in the synagogue first to the Jewish people. And then he's often rejected in the synagogue. And then he goes to the Gentiles, right? And he tends to get better results with the Gentiles. But this is in fulfillment of God's covenant to Abraham, which we looked at maybe two weeks ago. I don't remember. <laughs> But I looked at the God's covenant with Abraham. One of the promises in that covenant in Genesis 12, 
verse 3, if you're taking notes, was that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, right? So when God made that covenant with Abraham, he is pointing towards Christ. And then in, when Isaiah makes this prophecy that the Messiah will be a light to all the nations, he is pointing to the fulfillment of that covenant with Abraham. God reiterates that later in Genesis 22:18 with Abraham, where he says, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Again, pointing to the Messiah, pointing to the gospel, going not to just the Israelite people, but to all the world. So one more thing about the consolation of Israel. I want to look in Luke chapter 4. We're going to, it's a reference to Isaiah, but it's contained within the book of Luke. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. So this is at the, the beginning of, of Christ's ministry. <clears throat> but it says in verse 16 of Luke chapter 4, it says, He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. On rolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It says, Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And that is those verses that Christ read from Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 61. Do you have in the Old Testament so many prophecies of who the Christ would be, what he would do? And we have Christ here himself reading those and saying, it is happening. It's there. It is me. It is Christ. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, right? That is what Simeon is looking towards. That is the consolation he is looking for, is all these prophecies in Isaiah. And that's just one place. I'm not saying it's only Isaiah, but this is one place where there are details given of what the Christ, the Messiah, the consoler of Israel would do is there. Preach good news to the poor, proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, release the oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, right? These, these wonderful, beautiful things that it tells us Christ would do. And that is what Simeon is looking forward to. But it tells us, after we see he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, he's waiting for all these things that were prophesied that would be done. But it says, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And so, keep in mind that prior to Pentecost, which would be Acts 2, after the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, the Holy Spirit is given to particular people, 
special instances for specific tasks to perform a ministry. That's generally a prophet or a king who would be, have the Holy Spirit upon them. And God would remove his spirit at times. Uh, Saul, King Saul, had the spirit removed from him. But this is an instance of Simeon had the spirit on him. It points towards Simeon being a prophet. But then in verse 26, we find what the Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon. It says that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So the Holy Spirit's not coming to Simeon and telling Simeon, this is what the Messiah will do. This is what the Lord's Christ is going to do. Simeon has the scriptures to tell him what the Christ child will do. But the Spirit does tell Simeon, in essence, that he will not die before he has seen the Messiah. This Messiah is coming. There was, they could look at the Old Testament and find out approximately when to expect the Messiah, but they didn't have an exact date. But it, Simeon has it revealed to him, you will not die before this child comes, before the Messiah comes. In the verse 27, it says he's moved by the Spirit, and he goes into the temple courts. So another thing the Spirit does for Simeon is it brings him into the temple with the precise timing to be there when Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to do according what the custom of the law required. Remember, Mary and Joseph at this time were probably still in Bethlehem, where Christ was born. And this was, as we saw last week, they would be 40 days after the birth of Christ, according to the laws, when they had to perform all these things. So they were to be there at a very specific time, and they had to travel to get there. But the Spirit arranges it, tells Simeon, go to the temple. You will see... This, the Lord's Christ will be there. But it says, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. We looked last week at what all those different laws required and how they filled those out and what those specific laws were. But that's, that's what they're there for, to fulfill those things. But it says in verse 28 that Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. And I was thinking about this, like it's a pretty innocuous statement, right? Who doesn't love to hold a newborn baby up, a 40-year-old baby? Usually people who have no experience with babies are, are afraid of a little baby like that because you think you're going to break it. But it's such a joy, right? Look forward to Josh and Leah's little girl coming soon and holding that little one, right? The little baby, so great. But it, in this instance, Simeon's not holding just like, oh, cute little baby, right? No, this is the Messiah. This is the promised one. This is what I've been waiting for. I've been waiting to die <laughs> for this one, right? Like I, God is holding me off from death so I can see this child 
takes him in his arms, praises God, right? And then Simeon speaks. And he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you had prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. We don't know when Simeon dies. We don't know if Simeon walks out of the temple and peels over immediately, or if he goes on and lives another 2, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. We don't know. But he can now die in peace, right? As you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. The thing that Simeon had been waiting for, to see the promised Messiah, he has achieved it. It has happened. And he can die in peace because he recognizes who Jesus truly is. He recognizes the fulfillment of this promise. He knows what has been promised by God. We looked at those scriptures that pointed to who the Messiah would be. Simeon can die in peace now. He says, it has begun. The Messiah has come. God has done what he had promised he would do. There was never any doubt that he would do it, but he is witnessing it fulfilled. It's a wonderful thing. We, we have the promises of God. We can look at them. We can say, yes, that will happen. But it's another thing to witness it happen, to see something you've been praying for actually come to fruition, to see it happen, because often you may not be the one who witnesses it. But Simeon has that pleasure, and it, it was promised to him. Verses 30 and 31, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. That was a seeming reference to another passage in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 52, verse 10. But in verse 10 of Isaiah 52, it says, The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Simeon says, My eyes have seen your salvation. But he goes on in the verse 32 where he says, It's a light of revelation for the Gentiles. And in that verse in Isaiah 52, it tells us that all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Right? Isaiah is pointing, Isaiah was pointing to it, but Simeon, in this little bit here, is pointing to this Messiah is not just for the nation of Israel. He is for all the nations. He is for the Gentiles. The first hinting of that in the Gospels. So Christ did not come just to save the Jewish people, but all peoples. We remember that passage in Isaiah 42 that we looked at earlier in verse 6, where it said he'd be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. And then again in Isaiah 49, where it meant said, there was too small of a thing for the Messiah to restore only Israel. He would bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Messiah would do. And this is 
what Simeon is pointing at, that this Christ child is not just for the nation of Israel, but he is for all people. You see some of these passages in Isaiah quoted throughout the New Testament and other places. And one place that you see it quoted is in Acts chapter 13, where you have yeah, Paul and Barnabas are taking the gospel, right? And they are in Pisidian Antioch, which is it's Pisidian because that's the nation because there's multiple Antiochs then, but they narrowed it down to Pisidian. But they are in the synagogue teaching to the Jews for a while, and then eventually they end up in the streets and they're teaching to the Gentiles. And as is normal in those instances, the Jews become jealous, right? Well, what are you preaching to them for? They, they don't deserve the, the grace of God. But then they point back to the prophecies of Isaiah and say, hey, God's light is for all the peoples. And even John the Baptist pointed to those same passages in Isaiah in Luke 3, so just a few, a quick turn away there. <clears throat> it starts in Luke 3, verses, verse 3. It says, He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. So John is also pointing to these passages in Isaiah, pointing to them saying, all mankind will see God's salvation. Not just limited to the nation of Israel. So, in Simeon's song where he points to a light for revelation to the Gentiles. This is not a new revelation from Simeon. He's not disclosing new information. He is pointing towards the prophecies of what the Messiah would do. <clears throat> so, it's not a new revelation, but it is a new thing. It is beginning with Christ, that this would, salvation would be for all peoples. You no longer have to convert to Judaism in order to become a follower of God. It is now through Christ. But then in verse 33, it says, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. I was thinking about this. Some is like, any other parent of any other child in this circumstance would think Simeon is a crazy person, right? You'd <laughs> take my child, and uh, you know the closest thing we have is uh, we dedicated our children here at church, right? The closest thing is I dedicate my child. So if somebody comes up front and like grabs my child and holds him up and tells me amazing things they're gonna do, I'll be like, well, eh. <laughs> have you seen him? Like. I love them, don't get me wrong, but they're not exactly amazing yet, right? But Mary and Joseph had had 
revelation already. They had the angel Gabriel come to them and tell them what this child would do. They'd had a a whole long list of experiences leading up to this point. So whenever Simeon comes to them, yeah, they marvel at what was said about Christ, right? What was said about this child. They didn't say, get away from me, you crazy old man, right? They marvel at it. What another revelation from the Lord of who this child would be. What another amazing thing. We marvel at this. We are in awe. It's further confirmation of what they had been told, right? They've had the Christ child. It's been 40 days. Jesus is not being held in their arms with a little halo around his head. He's not glowing. There is nothing when you look at him that says, yeah, that's the Messiah, right? I have the promises. I have the things that have been foretold. This is what we rely on. And this is another further confirmation, another instance of them being reaffirmed. But it goes on and says, verse 34, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. Right? He's going to reveal some more. He said, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So Jesus causes the fall, falling and rising of many in Israel. Right? Christ is a polarizing figure, and we see that throughout his ministry as you study the Gospels. There are those who either love Christ or those who hate him. There are very few fence-sitters in the Gospel, and it is the same way today. You either love Christ or you hate Christ. And that passage in Isaiah 49, in, one, in four, verse 7, it talked about that the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, would be despised and abhorred by the nation, right? He would not just be like, oh, this is what we're waiting for, grasp on, right? Because what they were waiting for, what they had the idea of who the Christ would be is not who he turned out to be. They had a misunderstanding of exactly how it was going to happen. So when he wasn't exactly what they wanted, it was... Get them out of here. And there's lots of other passages that also point towards Christ being a stumbling stone. Um, we've been looking in our Sunday school in 1 Corinthians, and passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. It says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So Christ was a stumbling block to the Jews, and he was foolishness to the Gentiles, right? How this guy, you guys are going to worship this guy? That's what they were thinking, right? Christ is polarizing. There is no in-between. And it goes on and says, verse 35, that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Again, pointing towards the fact that Christ will, will show where you're at. The way you re- 
react to Christ shows your true nature. It causes divisions in society, right? There's, as you study the book of Acts, as they first take the, the gospel out into the Roman world around them, there's lots of different reactions. There are those who gladly receive the gospel, and then there are it's often the Jewish people who do not like that it is going out. And they attempted to kill Paul several times. So what do we, what do we glean from this? I cover a lot of things as I go through here, but what, what, a, what stands out, right? So in regards to Simeon, Simeon trusted in God's word. He was living by faith in God's promise of a coming redeemer as it was revealed in the scriptures. He knew his scriptures and he knew what to expect and he had faith. And he trusted so much that when he saw the promised savior, he was able to be at peace with death, right? The thing that had been promised has happened. Dismiss your servant in peace. So knowing Christ should influence how we look at death, right? How do you see death? Nobody desires to go through the process of death. It's, it's often unenjoyable, right? But what are you looking forward to? What is it that awaits you, right? Is it to be with your Savior or is it most people don't say, I reject Christ, I would rather go to hell. It's right, it's usually, I reject Christ because I have something else I've made up in my mind that I think is better or just as good, right? They, they think death holds something different for them, but it is black and white. It is, there is a division. And the other thing I was thinking here is, if you claim Jesus as your savior, you are in a better position, position than even Simeon was because you have more revelation in God's word than Simeon had. He had so much faith in this Christ child, this little child he was holding, and all he had was the Old Testament. If all you had was the Old Testament, could you, could you say the things he had said, right? But you are in so much better position we have the Old Testament, and we have the Old Testament fulfilled. We have, we have the expectation of Christ, and we have the fulfillment. And so we have no reason to fear death if we are in Christ. And so another thing was, do you have the same spiritual discernment that Simeon had? Can you see beyond the baby to who Jesus would be? Right? We love the little manger scenes that they put out of you know, this little baby Jesus, right? Which is, the little baby Jesus is pretty innocuous, right? Who doesn't love a little baby, right? But Jesus is a polarizing figure. He is not this sweet little lovable baby. He comes and says, you are either with me or you are against me. But do you see who Jesus truly is? All the things promised in Isaiah we looked at, that is Jesus. Is Jesus your foundation, right? We talked about that some looking in Corinthians today in Sunday school about 
Who is the foundation? The foundation is Jesus. Is Jesus your foundation? Because if Jesus isn't your foundation, he is your stumbling stone. And that's what he's talking about here. And so looking at this, you see all the scriptures are pointing towards Christ. It's all, all those prophecies have been fulfilled there. And he fulfilled those things. He did those things. He is doing those things. And what a beautiful thing. And one of those, that Isaiah 49, 6. I just loved that one. I looked at it several times where it just, just be in the right place. But he says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. You may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Just that Christ was not just for the nation of Israel. He was for all. And what a beautiful thing. And Simeon saw that and he, he pointed to that. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truths contained therein. I thank you for the treasures therein. Help us to, to trust it. Help us to trust in your promises as much as Simeon did. Help us to know that we are blessed, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your hymn books to 531. To be challenged to remember and to be challenged to make Christ your foundation, but then for us to be reminded what that means and what sureness that gives us. So we're going to sing, I know whom I have believed because I am sure. Let's stand and sing together. <clears throat> I know not why God's wondrous grace to me hath made known, nor why Christ in his boundless love brought me before his own. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word peace within my heart. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through his word, creating peace in him. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able 
to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair. If I'll walk the veil with him or me, persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Lord, we're grateful for your word, grateful for the reminder that Jesus Christ came, and he not only came for the Jews, but Lord, you send him to die for the sins of the whole world, to give mankind a chance to know you. Lord, we who know him have peace and comfort because you're always with us. We know of your love and we know of how you walk with us. We know that even in the hard things, you are strength and you give us grace. So we pray today that for those who are struggling and going through hard things, you would give them that grace and strength that they need to go through this, that they won't need to fear because they know you will never leave them or fail them. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the possibility that you might come tomorrow and we would all be taken up. But until then, that we might look forward to the day when we see you in person and all the clouds will go away and we'll see clearly who you really are. So Lord, until then, might we bring glory and honor to you. Might we believe even as this song says and might that give us peace. In Christ's name, amen.